finish the prayer by saying in the name of Jesus. I ask God to, that we'd be at unity, that we'd listen to each other. And, you know, you had liberals and conservatives and people of all shapes and sizes there. And the fact that I prayed in Jesus, I almost caused a riot. I got written up in the paper. I had people seeking me out because I tagged the end of the prayer in the name of Jesus. In other words, through the mediation of Jesus before us in heaven. That's what it wasn't the prayer. It was the name. Yeah, it's interesting. Jesus says, I'll be, I'll be the cause of the rise and the falling of many. Come on, we're, we're, we're talking about the name above all names. The enemy doesn't like that name, does he? Everyone say, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Jesus, young man, I want to give you a word. What's your name? Ricky. Ricky, you got the... Uh, you got the, did you know, anointing. You're in a conversation, well, did you know? Somebody, had unbeliever says something, did you know? You're like, a, you're like an encyclopedia Britannica. You got, you got a great mind to, to absorb a lot of information, things about, things about the faith. And you're going to be able to just keep flabbergasting people who think they got an argument against the the existence of God and the person of Jesus and the inspiration of the Bible and and you're just going to go did you know and they're, they're, they're going to be like caught off guard no I didn't did you know no no, no I didn't did you know this no I, I, I didn't you know you're, you're, you look like just a, a wonderful guy that just minds his own business but you're, you're, you're kind of a weapon more than you realize you're a weapon. And you're going to minister to people that are not like you. Okay? You're going to, you know, who's that guy in the corner there? You know? You, you kind of look like a bookworm or a nerd. I hate to say it, but you do. Okay? But you can have some jock there, captain football team. Hey, you're going to, hey, did you know? Did you know? Some guy that, you know, was Mr. I got 20 girlfriends in high school. Did you know? I mean, you're going to all different shapes and sizes of people. You're, you're going to have an anointing on you to open their eyes. You're going to break down strongholds. When Paul says we take captive every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, he was not talking about a mental drill where we kind of like, I'm casting that thought down. He was talking about his ministry where his, the preaching of the word brought every stronghold down that exalted itself against the knowledge of Christ. And that's what you got. So keep it up. Lord, he's a sponge. He's a sponge for you, Lord. He's a sponge of revelation, sponge of information, sponge of faith. Lord God, this is a real thing. And I just see a, just a, a, an anointing of an apologist. Lord, like, a, like, a, like, a, like Justin of old, the great philosopher, won't call you Justin Martyr. You're not going to get martyred. But he's going he's gonna to be able to contend with the arguments of culture. And he's going to be able to say, do you know? Do you know? Do you know? Do you know? And we thank you for that anointing on him now. In Jesus' name, we thank you for the grace that's on him. Young, young lady, you have, I, I just want to bring a real word of encouragement to you. You know, life wasn't handed on a silver platter to you. You've had to really scrap and work for everything you've got. And there's been a, a scrapper spirit in life. I've got to move ahead. You've had to spin a lot of plates and 
Sometimes even I see taking on responsibilities because of the family background and stuff that at times robbed you of some other things that you could have done, but you did the loyal thing. You served. You bore the burden of other people. And sometimes, can I, can I have my dreams? Because it just seems like such a large hill for me to climb. But God's with you. He's going to do some things for you. He sees where you're at. He's Elroy. He sees where you're at. And he's going to help you. He's going to advance you. You're going to see dreams come to pass in your life. Whatever you put your hand to, you're going to find that with the, your grit and your determination, your faith and your belief, God's going to favor you. He's with you. He, he, he encourages you today that you do not walk alone. He's Jehovah Shammah, the Lord that is your peace. He's with you. His presence is with you. Shalom, Mishamah, and he's with you. And you don't have to worry. You got him with you. And he's going to open every door. He's going to help you in every way. Be encouraged. Never look at somebody else's journey and say, you know, man, why did they have it so easy? And man, it was just such a, such a road for me. You don't have to question those things. I'll tell you one thing was told me that I would give you the same word of wisdom. They will not minister to the same people that you minister to. Their preparation's different. But yours is unique. You're going to be a great strength. Great strength. You're going to have a great grace upon you as you, you grow in Christ and as you continue to grow in life and age. You're going to have a great grace for adolescence. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to be a shepherdess to teenagers. And you're going to be able to say, you know what? There is a God who's going to get you into your future. Do not give up. Because you didn't give up. You're going to give them the same rope you've hung on to. And you have this great courage you have. Be blessed. Amen. 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 You may be seated. And this is the 1111 service. I guess we don't have a time clock on this one. I guess there's some playoff games going on today. Don't worry about it. I'll give you the prophetic word, who's gonna win? Got any Raven fans out here? No, no one likes the Ravens, okay, no. Got any 49er fans out here? How about Detroit Lions? You know, even if you don't like, you guys like any team around here? You guys are really horrible fans. What we got left? The Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, Taylor Swift's team. Amen. Well, what I did in the first service, because I'm on a, a limited time clock, I took the same sermon, I divided it into two parts, part one, part two, and talked to you about, we're talking about tests that follow prophetic promises. How many of you were in the first service today, and you got a little taste of the foretaste of that, and and that why when God gives us prophetic promises, they are tested by trial. So every promise given us is tested. And there's, there's a purpose in that test. Of course, everything that we receive from God and we experience from God comes from the basis of faith because we are, we are trusting his character and his love towards us. You know, you really can't have a relationship with somebody if you're calling them a liar. It doesn't quite work. You know, I love Craig, but Craig, you're a liar. 
Okay, it just doesn't work. Okay, I gotta trust Craig's integrity. I gotta trust his love for me. And I gotta trust what he's doing. I gotta, I gotta believe in him. That's what forms relationship and friendship. Well, the same is true with God. We, for his purpose to be fulfilled, we have to trust his, his word and we have to trust his testimony and we have to trust his character. And that test, for it to be real, has to be tested. It can't be just phony thing. You know, I believe some confession. I grew up in a Catholic church, and I have some really, I have some appreciation for some of the roots I, I had as a Catholic. You know, one thing the Catholic church taught me was the fear of the Lord, and, and, uh, and uh, there's some other things that I, I learned in the Catholic church. I learned some things not to do, but, uh, but, 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 you know, it's just not a mental thing. It's, a, it's an active thing. It's got to be real, and for it to be real, it's got to be demonstrated. For it to be demonstrated, it's got to be tested. It's got to be tested. I've always joked with our church that I, I'm really into uh, when you're in the grocery store and you got a grocery cart, and I hate it when people just kind of throw it into the parking lot, ramps into cars, and you know some kid that has to go collect grocery carts has to run all over the parking lot and get them. And uh, I just think it's bad citizenship. So be convicted if you do that. But uh, <laughs> so I do that. I've talked about it. They do it, and you, know, you never know who's watching you. And I was at a Whole Foods. Uh, and uh, it was a warm day, and I was kind of far away from the rack where they go, and I almost thought for a second, you know, yeah, I, you know one time, you know, one time I could just leave it next to the car. And, no, 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 this is my conviction. I, I pushed it into the place, you know, where the carts go, and uh, there was somebody in the parking lot who knew who I was, didn't go to our church, they knew I was a pastor, they knew the church was going to, and they said to themselves, I want to watch him to see what he does. They reported it to some member of my church. I wanted to see what he would do. You're always being watched. I mean, you're, 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 your faith has to be tested, for it to be tested, and it has to be demonstrated, and, and, and for it to be demonstrated, God's got to put you through a challenge whether you're going to exercise it or not. But at the same time, tests develop us. It develops our faith. The more contradiction you face, the more trial you face, the more warfare you face, face the stronger you get. You know, one of the things that happened during COVID, at least in, in our church, is all of a sudden boomers became popular. People, builders became popular. People who are the depression children, people who are the children of the World War II generation, because they had actually gone through some tests in their life, and they, have, they were calm. It wasn't their first rodeo. It wasn't their first barbecue. Okay, it wasn't, that wasn't it. I remember being seven years old in elementary school talking about a nuke bomb taking us out, what it would be like. I remember watching a commercial, the Cuban Missile Crisis, and, you know, we're going to get shot some missiles at us. And I went to my mom. I said, I don't want to die. My mom wasn't very compassionate. She says, Bob, we have to all die sometime. <laughs> That's really comforting to a seven-year-old. But there was just something about our generation that brought strength to the, the millennials and the Gen Zers and the, and the Generation X and whatever, whatever we got left in sociology. But you know, they were looking that they, they seemed, you seem to be stable and not moved by this thing. We'll get through it. There's just something that has that quality, and so we're tested. And I talked to you about Abraham, that the Mishnah, the oral tradition of, of, the, of the, the Talmud, the, 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 the law the, the, of, of the Old Testament that they had a statement that our father Abraham was tested 10 times and he withstood the test. 
Now, I want you to know that there's different views on what test that Abraham went through. I have my persuasion of what the 10 tests of Abraham are, and since I'm preaching, I'm going to give my view on that, but I'm going to talk about the 10 tests of Abraham, and I'm going to talk about, I'm going to apply it to you and to me on how, when God gives me a promise, whether a scripture or whether a prophetic word or something he's laid out in the word of God, a promise he's given us, what kind of tests does he take us through to see if we're going to believe? And the first test of Abraham was this, was the test of leaving, was the test of leaving. Can I, and, and the question I need to ask myself, can I leave what is familiar and trust God with my future? In Genesis 12, 1, he said, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. In other words, leave your comfort zone. I'm going to tell you, if you're going to move forward in whatever God has for you, you got to leave your comfort zone. It may require you to leave a job because God wants you to do something else. It may require you to give radically and put yourself in a place of economic scarcity for a season because you obeyed the word of the Lord. You left your comfort zone. You said, I don't like faith like that. <laughs> it may require you, you know, to, to go to some foreign land that you're called to do that to a different culture and a people and, and you don't have the same protections you have in the United States of America. And you don't. Who was that? Scott Wesley Brown sang that song. Oh, please don't send me to Africa, Africa. Well, he may send you to Africa. He may send you places that have five-star hotels. You can count them. You lay on your back at night. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. The test of leaving. The second test that Abraham went through is the test of trusting. Can I believe God to do more than my natural ability can achieve? And you see this in chapter 12, verse 2 to 3. Listen to this. I will make you, this is God saying this to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will just leave it there. I'll make you into a great nation. Now, here's the problem, problem with that promise. They couldn't get pregnant. I'm going to do something in you that right now is a total failure in your life. But in your failure, I'm going to change human history. Can you believe me for it? It's always when God gives us a promise within our comfort zones of what we can do. But God's always going to challenge you to go beyond what you can do. Come on, it's important that we embrace weakness. Because when we're weak, we begin to depend upon him and he's a lot stronger and wiser than me, and he begins to reveal his glory through me. I remember my family, when I left coaching and teaching and I was gonna prepare myself to be a pastor, I mean, I got laughed at. My older sister, I can't imagine you being a minister. Well, I can't either, but that's what Jesus wants me to do. (laughs) The third test that Abraham went through, and we go through also, is the test of famine. Can I trust God? Can I trust God when life doesn't make sense? Or will I lean on my own wisdom and my own strength? When I face something where life doesn't make sense, I'm going to figure it out. Chapter 12, verse 10, interesting verse. 
Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt. You know, the Lord didn't tell him to go down to Egypt. He chose to go down to Egypt. I think it's a good idea, man. We don't have any food around us here. Let's go to Egypt. That's the world. Let's go to the world system. Let's go to what man can provide. Let's go down there. Let's not trust God. Let's not trust his wisdom. Let's not trust his power. Let's not trust what he can do. Let's trust what man can create. I'll never forget when we, I went to Bible college, gave up my teaching profession. We had no money. We drove a, a 1971 Datsun 510. It was four-door. That was cool. Unfortunately, on the passenger side and on that, the back seat of the passenger side, there was nothing latching the doors. It was hung together by a coat hanger. Sounded like a go-kart. We used to put Julia in the back seat and go to church. Had no money. We go down to Los Angeles to celebrate Christmas and go see one of Sue's good friends. Her name was Bernie, and she was married to this, this nationally known psychologist. They lived in a house that looked like the Von Trapp family house, you know, and Sound of Music, except the dancing children with knee-high socks. But uh, other than that... <laughs> It was a beautiful home in San Clemente, California. And I felt horrible. I used to throw eggs at this girl on Halloween. You know, here she was living like, you know, just with the rich and famous. And here I was, we, you know, we were eating macaroni and cheese and splitting, you know, hamburgers from McDonald's. You know, it's a, we're surviving. I mean, it was, it was nip and tuck. It was hand to mouth. And I remember being so jealous of what the scenario was. And the Lord spoke to me and he says, don't you look at what is passing away. I said, okay, I, I reel it in, Lord. The next, the next time there was connection with her, it was the summer, and my wife went down to be with her parents, and I was working up in, in Washington, and, and she ran into her, and what had happened is that the husband dumped her. It, she, he just said, I want you out of the house. You have no access to my children, and her marriage was over. The next Christmas, she was in a two-bed apartment in Englewood, California, and when we saw her, I said, Bernie, man, it just seemed like everything was just going for you last Christmas. And what's this all about? He said, Bob, that was all a show. We put that on to impress you. And here I was getting jealous of it. We like to go to Egypt, don't we? During times of famine. Now, the famine was right in the context of the will of God. And when you go to famine, sometimes we go to Egyptian solutions. <laughs> not God's solutions. Then there's the fourth test he went through is that do a, a test of morality. And that is, can I do the right thing when it's not safe or convenient? And in Genesis 12, 11 to 13, it says this, as he was about to enter Egypt, this is Abraham, the father of our faith. Can we have the salvation, we have the saving faith of Abraham. That's how we get saved. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, this is quite the stud of a husband. I know what a beautiful woman you are. And when the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this is his wife, then they will kill me, but, but we'll let you live. So you just say you're my sister. <laughs> this guy really is the husband of the year. <laughs> say, say you are my sister. So I'll be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Now, here's the problem with his wisdom and his morality. First, Egyptians hated lying. 
That culture, it was all their evil that they did. They hated lying. It was like the taboo of Egyptian culture. What was he doing? Lying through his teeth. He had a whole lying scheme. The second thing is he was setting his wife up to commit adultery. She followed through with the scheme and kept saying, she's my sister. She's going to get hooked up in Pharaoh's harem. And then if he's trying to pull her out to escape, is he really going to, with his few camels and his wife, he really escape the greatest army in the world? It was stupid wisdom. Going to Egypt was stupid enough. Making up this scheme was even more unwise. You know, can I just trust truth, even though when truth is not convenient? And I have found, as you probably have found, that truth is not convenient. Truth hurts. Truth loses friends. Truth creates tension. People don't like truth. But when you're trying to stay true to your conscience, you're going to have to pay the price. And then the fifth, the fifth test is the, that Abraham went through is the test of spiritual warfare. Do I have the spiritual weapons to fight against evil? And of course, the great battle of the four kings coming down and we, we have, uh, what's his name? And I always blow his, his name. I've practiced it a hundred times on my videotapes for his church ministries. But he, he, he basically was trying to colonize this area and control it. And they rebelled against him. So he, he had an alliance of four kings that go down. And, and they also carried off Abram's nephew. They, t- they took all the goods away from Sodom and Gomorrah. He, and uh, he was living in Sodom in a and uh, the king comes down, they steal everything out of Solomon and Gomorrah, plus they take net, uh, Lot and they take all his goods. The man who had escaped and reported this to Abram, the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Aner, and all of whom were allied with Abram. And when Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, I love this, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And during the night, Abraham divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He, he recovered all the goods, brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the women and all the other people. There are things you fight for. There's those things you contend for. You gotta fight in faith for my sister had ovarian cancer, stage four. I've lost people in the battle of praying for people with cancer, and I've seen victory, and this is a victory. My sister was not a believer. She had a huge tumor. The, the surgeon said to my other sister, it was just, it's just a mess. Everyone thought she was gonna die. And I said, Carol, all I know is I got 500 people praying for you. That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray, and we're gonna keep praying, we're gonna keep praying, we're gonna keep praying, we're gonna keep praying. She ends up getting saved, water baptized. Her oncologist calls her the miracle patient. She says, I thought you'd be dead, and you are my miracle patient. And so what what we had to do is we had to fight. Sometimes you gotta fight for things. You know, Philistines are sitting on your inheritance. You gotta get them off of that. We got squatters on what is ours. Deb, do you fight for things in your faith? You're going to have to. The sixth test was the test of loyalty. Can I give my allegiance to God when in times of insecurity he makes a covenant with me that involves a future that entails darkness? Now, how would you like a prophetic word like this in Genesis 15? As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep in a thick and dreadful darkness. 
came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. What would you do with a prophetic word? Guess what? Your family is going to become slaves for 400 years. That's my prophetic promise to you. But don't lose heart. I'll bring them out. Man, I don't like prophecies like that. I want prophecies like God's going to do you good. But what would you do if you got a prophetic word like you will suffer much in what I call you to do? Well, I don't like that. Give me a nice one. How'd you like to be the apostle Paul? Saul of Tarsus. Ananias says, man, Lord, I heard a lot of things about this, this man. He says, Ananias, he's a chosen vessel of mine. And I will reveal to him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. That's how Saul started. You ever see, like, heard the phrase, God's a gentleman. He won't do anything against your will. Saul's story doesn't match up to that phrase. He got knocked over, blinded. And he says, what do you want me to do? He says, you go to Damascus and you'll be told what you must do. No options. It wasn't door number two. And I'm going to show you how many things you're going to suffer, but you're going to write one half of the New Testament. You're going to establish Christian theology for 2,000 years, and you're going to church plant like a machine throughout the Eastern Roman Empire. And when I'm ready to take you home, eh, you get beheaded. <laughs> Would I be willing to receive a word that involved a complete sacrifice? My friend David Freck, member of MFI, and incredible, he's a hero of mine, just an incredible stud. And he's a three-time jiu-jitsu master's world champion. When he was in India, signs and wonders ministry, he got, he got, he got arrested and, and uh, they messed with him and his team in a big way mentally. They put him out in a field and they put him before a firing squad. And I said, David, man, what were you feeling like when you had a firing squad pointing their guns at you? He says, I was wondering how committed really am I to Christ? <laughs> you know, well, God wouldn't do that because God's love and everything's good and fine. And yeah, he loves us. He loves us. He said to Peter, hey, Peter, you used to run all over the place. There's going to be a day when you're old, they're going to bind you up. You're going to go where you don't want to go. And John says this signified the death by which he would glorify God. You know, Peter says to Jesus, he said, well, what about him? Pointed John. He goes, listen, if I will it for him to remain until I come, that's not your business. You go and you follow me. Where's my faith today? Where's my faith? It's going to cost us. And then there's a test of circumcision that Abraham went through. Come on. Will I completely, here's the, here's the test, will I completely surrender to God as my king and crucify the passions and the agendas of my fallen nature? He said to him in, in Genesis 17, then I'll make a covenant between me and you and, and, and will greatly increase your numbers. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Now, why, why did God do this strange thing? I recognize that, you know, it's just we do something medically on the eighth day when we have a male baby. But, you know, why did God make a covenant of circumcision? I mean, it's kind of 
I hate to be like a 20-year-old convert and have to get circumcised. That'd be kind of a painful way to get saved. Yeah. You know, meditate on that for a second. <laughs> it's the removing of flesh. And what it signifies is this. If you don't obey me, just like your flesh is cut away, you're going to get cut away. I mean, this, this requires obedience. Faith is obedience. Obedience needs to have faith, and if it is faith, it's going to be obedient. He, made it, he, cut, he cut off the flesh, pointing to the fact that we're going to put off our flesh. We get selfish. Come on, I get selfish. We go, we go through self-absorbed times and seasons. We think we're something in our own strength, or we think we're significant. We go through pride. We do these things. We've got to cut away these things. We've got to cut away lust. We gotta cut away ego. We gotta cut away selfishness. We gotta cut these things away in order to obey Jesus and to fulfill the prophetic promise. Then there's the test of death to my plans. In other words, will I remove myself from anything that I have created in my own ambition and wisdom to see the grace of God released in my life? Ishmael was of their own making. Ishmael was their own idea. Ishmael was their doing, their plan, their efforts, not God's. Sarah saw Genesis 21, 9 and 10. She saw the son from Hagar, the Egyptian, had born to Abraham, was mocking. This is after Isaac was born. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. I want to tell you this, that none of us will, in, will possess the inheritance God has for us through our own efforts. It's the work of grace. And grace is favor that we don't deserve, but it's also a force that mightily works in us. And it's that grace that's going to fulfill the purpose of God in me, and you, and in this church, and what God wants to do in this church. Not just we come up with plans and we do things in our own strength. Ishmael was the result of human wisdom, human effort, human agendas. Come on. We try to do things in our own effort or create our own rules or become overachievers or do we want to trust in the power of God? Ishmael will not inherit the inheritance. Paul later said, talking about the law, Cast out the woman, the Old Testament. Cast out the law as a basis of righteousness. They're not going to receive the promise. You're going to receive it by faith in the work of grace. This is why sometimes church programs don't always work because it's a kind of a man-created program trying to produce what only God can produce by the word and spirit. Last thing he was tested in was the test of, the test of ultimate sacrifice. What he was asked to offer Isaac on the on the altar of Mount Moriah. What would we be willing to offer God if he asks? What would you be willing to sacrifice if God told you to do something? I have a friend of mine. His name is Mike Heron. When he was a teenager, he was a, a servant in classical music composition. He had written cantatas and plays and scores of symphonies and he had a stack of stuff he had created, and he gave his life to Jesus. He's like 20 years old, 21 years old. And he says, I got to get rid of this. This is yours. This is just my making, God. I give it all up for you. He goes outside of a house. He lives near the Oregon coast. There's a river that empties in the ocean. I forget the name of the river, and he throws it all in the river. 
everything he created. It's yours. About a few hours later, he gets a knock on the door. It's an old friend of his. He said, Mike, man, I was down the river fishing and all these papers going down the river and I collected them and I saw your name on them, so I'm bringing them back to you. Sometimes God God wants to see if you'll just give it to me. You know, he didn't kill kill Isaac, did he? I just wanted to see if you would do it. Well, what would have happened had it gone through and Abraham did it? He would probably raise him up, even healed up the scar. Isaac probably said, hmm, what was that little pinch in my stomach? He just trusted. Will you offer? Will you trust? Will you abandon? Let's stand to our feet. of his ways and we will walk in his paths.
You think we can get exalted of that type of an influence? Because I really believe that God's going to do that here. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, and I'm going to tell you why. I know he's at the other campus today, but I know J.O., like he was my little brother, and I have walked with him in the darkest seasons and challenges of his own life. But you have a pastor who exemplifies more than any other individual I've ever met what true brokenness looks like. I know he spits and screams and he's on fire, but he has the most childlike heart of any man I've ever met. When God looks down at him, I, 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 can, I can trust this one. I can trust this one. I know what Ray Dean's gone through. I think she exemplifies faith like no one I've ever seen. I've watched her two or three times on the edge of death and just doesn't waver, and God has delivered her. I mean, God has tested them like no one's business because something great is going to take place. Abraham was tested because, because all of human history was going to rest on him. The Jews believed this. He tested them so severely because when he was rewarded finally for his faith, everyone would have to look upon it and said he deserved it. That's how the ancient Jews believed in this. So we, we, we need to understand that God has greatness in this house. He won't fail this house. Whatever you take on, he will not fail you. I give you that prophetic promise. One more time, I'm saying this and we'll give out a few prophetic words. I want you to just, in your spirit, I want you to think about your own life and your own journey and your own trials. Come on, think about the church, what God wants to do with you through this. on the altar time in your life and I want to just identify you if you're if you're in that season where you feel like you've got um, you just got everything laid out before God and it just seems like nothing is around the corner that all hope is lost because you've just you're just waiting on God to show up for the miracle the provision I, I always woke up early this morning with a scripture from Joel, and I feel like this is for you. So if that's you, uh, you're in that, you feel like you're Isaac, 
Your baby is on the altar right now in some way. It might be a business, it might be a literal child, it might be a family member, it might be a dream that has been just broken. Can you raise your hand? I want to pray this scripture over you. Keep your hand raised. And Joel is a book of loss and restoration. And God is saying this from Joel 2, and you're familiar with this, 25. I, the Lord says, I will repay you. Keep your hands up now and claim this, your, your repayment. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts and all those those locusts and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full. You will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. For those of you that have your hands up, I, I just feel like there is a, a season coming. And I just want to pray for my sister right here. There's a season right now that God is coming for you and others. That God is going to return your health. He is going to restore your loved one. He's going to bring a comfort. A comfort to your soul for the broken thing that you have left up to God. There is no other way to go. You have not cursed God. But God is saying, I'm going to come and restore everything that the enemy has ripped off from you. Everything that was lost is going to be replaced. And today I come, says the Lord, to heal your body, even your soul and your mind. A complete healing and restoration comes to you this day, sister. You have a great faith. You're a person of faith. You give faith and you give it out of a broken heart. But God is coming to heal that broken place. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Back there in the back, and this gentleman, yeah, he's like just the banner there. But God, this young man, I just pray, God, that in. Yeah, can you please stand up? The, the order of God's design, you were one among many brothers, but somehow you were the one that was um, disdained even and put out. And I believe that God is going to, this word about the shame is going to be taken off of Israel. This is for you. The shame and the things that you did and you've tried to make up for on your own strength, God says, I'm going to vindicate you. I'm going to restore. It's not going to look like how you look it, but how you think it's going to be. But God is going to restore your reputation. He's going to restore the things that you can't even imagine. He's going to rebuild relationship. And he is not done with you. You've got a place in this community. You have, you, you are going to make friends. You're going to be friendly because you are a friendly guy. But God is going to give you deep friendships, friendships that are going to help restore and give you truth. And you're going to need to yoke with like fathers in the faith that are going to speak truth to you because you need that yoking with those that are going to be a dad to you and give it to you straight. God is wants to rebuild everything the enemy has ripped off from you. 
And even the thing that you put on the altar saying, whatever, God, I give up on this idea. God is going to replace that too. Amen? Amen. 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 My, uh, my brother in the third row, you got a star on your black t-shirt there. You can stand, if that's your wife next to you, not just a friend. I'm going to call you Professor. And uh, you just have a great ability just to sit with somebody and just carry on a long, deep conversation. You just got a lot of thoughts in you, a lot of analysis, a lot of things you've reflected on and thought about, and questions you still ask. And, and you just have this great ability just to talk about a number of subjects for a long time. And it, I, to, I find that refreshing. In a day, I, I don't think we want knowledge. We want quick surface information. We don't want to think and evaluate. And you're going to help people think. I think Christians need to think better. We tend to not uh, go to original sources. We, we, we tend to listen to our favorite analysts and just kind of take everything at face value, what they're saying, instead of doing research ourselves. And I think you're going to teach people to do research, and you're going to teach people to think, and and teach people how to process stuff and things that you're asking. And sometimes they'll just walk away saying, hmm, man, he gave me a lot to think about. You're a wise man. You have a gift of wisdom. And God is going to use that just to strengthen the thinking processes of people. It'll not be to tear them down. It'll be to inspire them and create hunger in them for truth and to look at things and, and to learn and you're not a man who just buys into things at the first presentation. I'd hate to be a salesman trying to sell you a vacuum cleaner or something. <laughs> but, but you have to study it out, analyze it, look at consumer report, make sure it's the right thing. I mean, you just think through things. And I believe you're going to teach people to think through things. It's going to make them not skeptical. It's going to make them wiser. Wisdom has built her house. She's hewn out her seven pillars. God just wants to encourage you with this gift. I know we love miracles and this and that. No one goes to gift of wisdom seminars. But man, we, wisdom is a this principal thing, the Bible tells us. Get wisdom with all you're getting. Get understanding. And the Lord has gifted you with that. So he's going to use you to help others in that area. hope that encourages you. hope that encourages you. Amen. 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 I, you know, I, I, I feel I have a word for you uh, that I want to encourage you. You know, there's two types of people that get on a swimming pool. Those like to just get on the, they don't care if it's 50 degrees in the water and what is, they just want a cannonball inside, just splash. Others like to kind of wade down the steps, you know, kind of try it out, kind of wave in. You're kind of waving into a journey of faith that the Lord is leading you into step at a time. Okay, I think I got this down. And I think I, I, I can, I'm okay with this. This, man, this kind of scares me over here. But, and, and the Lord wants you to know he's in this journey with you, pulling you into himself. You have been naturally successful in a few areas that were life like this came easy for you. Kind of a charmed seasons of your life. But you've hit some walls that you can't figure things out. And God's using that to get to your heart. He loves you. He's been after you, knocking on
knocking on the door, talking in your ear, okay? <laughs> Whispering in the night season, wake up, it's me. <laughs> I want to talk to you. You almost feel nagged, hunted down. You're right, he's hunting you down. He's after you because he longs for a relationship with you to go deeper. And you're just going to go from knee high to waist high. You're going to start swimming, and then you're going to wade, wade into the deep end. And, and, and the Lord is okay with your speed. Just keep pressing in. Don't worry what you don't know. Start embracing what you're understanding. You'll begin to grow. Your knowledge will grow, and you will end up looking back and saying, man, I remember that, that thing called the sound. It was like this launching start, and I'm just so far today where I wasn't before. So he's in this journey with you. It's a strange journey. I think there's people around you who are not of the faith kind of thinking, you know, what are you doing? You know, finding Jesus is what I'm doing. And, he's, and he's, it's real. This is going to encourage you that this thing is real. Your journey is real. What God's doing in you is real. And it's okay to be you. It's okay to be you. Always remember that because he created you to be you. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If on this couple, you have like a white pantsuit and you're, yeah, you got your legs crossed there and your husband and you can, is that your husband with you? Yeah. The, the, yeah, is that, are you a couple? Yeah. Are you married couple? There is, I can barely see you, my eyes and the lights, but I, when I came in, I was like a magnet. I saw, I saw you, that there was a, um, like something just in my spirit jumped up and said, new day, new attachments, new, um, a new order of things. So there's like a whole new thing coming for you. But um, I want to read you a scripture because this was also quickened from just Psalms 1. It was, and you probably are familiar, but um, I know that we, we all are all familiar. But this is in just Psalm 1. When, um, Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whether, whatever they do go. prospers. And the word of the Lord for you is that there is a, there is a rooting and a planting and a watering that the Lord is doing in you. You are in a new day of your faith in God. God is pouring in a new level of understanding of his word, a new level he wants you. This is a time for you to dig into the word, to study the word even together as a couple, to read the word and meditate on what the word says to you. He's, it's going to give you wisdom and direction. But here's the thing. What I saw was that you're going to be in a season of great um, fruitfulness, which signifies prosperity and um, new things, even on your business. I see you coming into uh, just a whole new set of clients and connectors, and God is going to 
provide even a financial blessing that you didn't see coming from unusual places, unusual connections, but prosperity coming for your work. I see, are you guys in business of some sort here? But it it is like, there's just going to be something flowing through you, both spiritually and financially. There's a blessing. You connect to this house and get established and get and submit yourself. I don't know if you're already in this small group, but connecting to that small group is the key to all of this. Amen. Amen. We can now we can now see ourselves. Thank you to see the It's nice to turn the TV on. We can see you in the crowd now. We've got floodlights, floodlights in our in our face. Uh, sir, you you are sitting third seat in from this row right here. You got kind of a red checkered shirt on. You're looking at me, and, and you got gray hair, and you're, you're like my age or older. So would you stand up? And you are you are have an incredible demeanor about you, in the sense that you just bring positivity into every environment you come into. You just you just have a positive bent on life, a positive perspective appreciation. You believe in people. You're really excited about people's gifts and what they contribute. And you're not about yourself. Your conversations are not about you. It's about everybody around you and your excitement for everybody else. It's a wonderful quality. And you're, what you're going to do without even trying, God's going to use you even in your years that you are now. He's going to use you to set environments in small group settings. Like you're gonna create, you're gonna turn the narrative into a positive narrative. You're gonna you're gonna create conversations that that land positively, perspectives and arguments that are gonna land positively. Well, listen to what he has to say because you see you're like a good mediator. Have you ever been in legal mediation? <clears throat> the mediator makes everybody think like he's on their side. You know, he comes into the room. Oh man, you really got them sweating bullets in that room over there. They're probably saying the same thing about me in the other room. But you got that way to get everybody thinking in a positive bent. You're an optimist. You see, you see God's creation in people. You see grace operating in people. You see the value they are as children of God. And you're able to bring it out and recognize it. And then on top of that, you take that affirmation and you affirm people. Now, I, I have said this over and over again this weekend, but life and death are in the power of the tongue. And we help each other see ourselves as God sees us. And you're going to help people see themselves as God sees them. Not just from what you know of Scripture, but what you see in them. I see this in you. And they're just going to walk away being absolutely encouraged. I remember when I was in college, between my junior and senior year, one of my professor's sons was up in a, in a, a camp that I was volunteering for. And uh, he was a big football star at Ellensburg High School, and he was telling me what he wanted to do. And I said, whatever you do, don't be a dumb jock. That's all I said to him. And I walked away. Well, his pro- the prof came to me about a year later. He says, you said this to my son, and his GPA is through the ceiling. He ended up going to the University of Montana playing football and got a college education because I said, don't be a dumb jock. You know, words have power, and your words have power. And you're just going to say things to people that is going to set things going in them in a positive way. So I just want to encourage you. Let grace be on you. 
and say, who am I to receive a word like this? Someone very, very significant. Bless you. Amen. Debating, going back and forth. Sister, right here. I, I just want you. Right here, yeah, honey, yeah. Where, just here? if you could stand up. Where? where? Right, right here. Yeah, you know, I, I saw you as such a Miriam, a, a lover of just abandoned worship to the Lord, to give him your all is your heart's desire, to just give him everything. And God is coming today to say that he is just loves that. He loves that heart. Of, give, of just openness, that heart of freedom before him. And that's where you have rebuilt uh, yourself. It's almost like this place of worship has been a healing house for you, a place where you have received inner healing. And God is going to continue to do this work. And this goes for anybody else here in this room that feels like life has broken something in you uh, emotionally. God is in the business of restoring his people through a place of healing. This is a big theme this morning is restoring things. And you're a, a trophy of restoration, a trophy of the beauty that God pours in as we just give ourselves our time. You've given a lot of time to this house. You've given a lot of time relationally to people that don't really... Um, they're not like, I, I don't want to say this carefully because they're probably all around here, but, you know, some people really take it out of us. They take, I have friends of all kinds, and some are, you know, they, I have to take a nap after I meet with them because I'm like, whew, that was like a tidal wave of, of prayer and intercession in what they need. I've got an assignment now to really, uh, you know, and that's you. You prop people up. You've actually been like, I see this, like, you know, in Holland, they had, the Dutch had to build all these walls to keep the ocean from taking away all the land. And so they built this whole system hundreds of years, you know, a few hundred years ago, they built this entire system that prevents them from loss of territory. And I feel like that's you. You are a wall builder around people to teach them and show them how to not lose ground to the enemy, to, to do practical warfare, to do spiritual warfare. That's your middle name, spiritual warrior. Come on, girl. You are. You are. Praise God for you in this house. Amen. I had a, um, another woman here that um, you you have a black top on and a gold necklace, and you're kind of, yeah, you're like, now you're, yeah, right, you, yeah. Can you stand? Are you, I, I want to say there's, um, there's a great, there's a great lot of people that come here and they find, uh, you know, this is where they find connection and they do a lot of things. But you're unable because you've got a very unique lifestyle and schedule. And God has given you still treasures and friendships here. Even though you live a, like a crazy, hectic life, it's okay. God says, it's okay. It, you don't. You don't get judged by how many hours. God doesn't judge us by how many hours we um, 
do things in the house, even though it's great that we have people that live here. You know, like I think some of you guys have sleeping bags here and I really never seen you not here anywhere else, you know, but you are a community woman. You have your hands in the community and you have to, you have to be outside this house. Your assignment is the kingdom of God outside this house and God commends you for the investment you have in the community and the, and some other communities. You're poured in, you're loving, you're caring, you're, you're speaking truth to people, you're investing yourself in, in good business practices with others and God is coming today to refresh you to pour a horn of oil of physical refreshing for the load that you bear for physical refreshing and mental refreshing for the weight that you carry in this area lord god give her continued influence continued favor and a and a spiritual refreshing that is beyond a bunch of um vitamins god give her more than what a vitamin a bunch of give her spiritual vitamins today to do all that you've called her to do and in the middle of that there's a new contract a thing that you have sitting out on a on a desk that is it's probably an electronic desk or contract but is it to are you a go or a wait and god is saying it's a go it's a it's a go ahead time for you to sign into that amen Two, three, third row. Uh, ma'am, you're staring right at me, right there. You're looking, that's you. Okay, stand right here. That's you. You're nodding. Let's just stand. You know, you have such a, a love for Jesus. I do have a glare here, and I got horrible glasses. And you, so, but uh, you, you got a real spiritual discipline. I mean, you dig into Jesus big time. You pray, you read your Bible, you stand on the Word, and uh, you don't, you don't. You don't turn to the left. You don't turn to the right. You stay on a straight and narrow path. You are serious about following Jesus. And um, the Lord just wants to do a few things for you. One, you work really hard. You work really hard. and Financial compensation meets your needs, but it's not abundant. But, but, But the Lord is going to favor. That's going to change. He's going to open up some doors of opportunities. It's like the things you're doing now will have skills that are needed for what he's going to do later with you vocationally. So don't just throw everything away. Just keep focused. I just feel like you're in a baby stage of business development and and you're kind of getting crumbs. But the Lord says just hang on. Just keep focused on what you're doing. He's hearing your prayers. He hasn't forsaken you. He hasn't let go of you. He's in the middle of the journey. And though you're tired, he's going to refresh you. And there's going to be some breakthroughs that are going to take place. I really believe you should get some counsel from some business person. Just just might give you some counsel to how to accelerate what you're doing. I feel like to tell you that. The other thing I want to just say to you is this. is As much as you love Jesus and you're digging in with all your disciplines, the, the enemy just works you big time. You come under a whole lot of condemnation. And there's a really, you, you give yourself a bad report card. I 
really bad report card. You don't give yourself good grades. And uh, the Lord really wants to heal that in you. So I'm going to pray right now for you. What's your name? Amber? Lord, I pray for Amber right now. And what a beautiful person. What a beautiful believer. Lord, she works so hard. She believes so hard. She presses in so hard. And even today, I just have to get to the house of God. Almost, almost like, not that you have any physical ailments, the woman with an issue of blood. If I could just touch the hem of his garment today. If I could just get a drop of water to refresh me. If I could just get something to strengthen me. I need Jesus to do something for me today. And he's coming and he's met you. And I come in Jesus' name against the voices that put you down. The voices that say you need to pray more, do more. You didn't do that right. Kind of destructive criticism that's just tearing you to pieces. Some of it's your own view of yourself needs to change. Some of it is demonic. So I speak in the name of Jesus against these, these talons of the enemy that bring such pointed finger condemnation against you and accusation, the spirit of accusation. We free you. You are a daughter of God. You are washed in his blood. You are saved by faith. You are completely righteous by the imputation of righteousness that he's given you because of what Jesus did on the cross. The work of the cross has established you. And God delights in your heart. He delights in your faith. He delights in your love for him. You please the Father. And not only that, you need to know that he saved you by undeserving grace, Amber. And he's doing a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful work in your life. Lord, prosper her. Lord, as she digs holes and plants seed, metaphorically, Lord, bring a harvest to what she's doing. And let your favor and counsel strengthen her and let her turn back and say, look at the great things God has done for me. In Jesus' name.